Good morning. Good morning. How you all doing? Oh, this is scary. Uh, okay. Um, in just a minute, my husband's going to come and speak. My name is Sally Rogers. I happen to be a part of him. And, um, but before uh, he does that, I wanted to just refer back to something Pastor Brent said last week. You, you remember his sermon was about the man that was healed at the pool of Bethesda. And he said, you know, God cares not just about our spiritual, but he cares about our mind and our body. And so I want to talk to you just a minute about that, specifically feet. Okay. Feet. Okay. Now, aren't you glad you came to church today? Yeah. Uh, more specifically, washing your feet. People, you have got to wash your feet. Okay. They get dirty. They get grimy, they get sweaty, they get smelly, okay? So wash your feet. Now, I know in Bible times, you know, that was a custom for them. They did that as they walked into homes, their feet would be washed, but we don't do that anymore. But hopefully, with our modern conveniences, we do, you know, wash our feet on a regular basis, at least most of you wash your feet on a regular basis, and that's good. But you know, as a society, we've even elevated that a bit. In fact, I did that this week, and I do it maybe two or three times a year. I do this. I pay somebody to wash my feet. Really, I do. Uh, it's called a pedicure. Now, for the three of you people who don't know what a pedicure is, I'm going to explain it to you, okay? So first, you take your shoes and socks off. That's very important. And then you put your feet in this tank of warm water. And you soak your feet in this delicious water. It feels so good. And when you're done soaking, one by one, they take your feet out and they trim your nails really neat and clean and they cut off that little edge around the the nails and the cuticle and they make them all clean and neat and then your nails are just so pretty and neat and that's good but when they get done with that they go to the sponge and the sponge scrubs the whole foot and takes off that dry yucky skin that you have all around there and some even use a a, a file to push off the heel, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, some of you really need that. But I do okay until they get to the bottom of my feet. And then, tickle, terrible tickle. I, 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 it's terrible. So when they get to that, I do everything I can, but I can't have it every time I start to laugh. And one time, this lady, for some reason, loved the bottom of my feet. I don't know if she thought they were extra dirty or they were just really pretty, but she scrubbed and she scrubbed. And I am belly laughing, finally. I am laughing so hard, I cannot stop, and she won't stop scrubbing my feet. And I look up, and the whole salon is laughing at, uh, with me. <laughs> when that is done, my favorite part comes. It's the massaging of your feet with the lotion, the warm lotion on your feet. And then they take this stone that's smooth and round and it's heated and they rub it on your feet, this heated rock. It is beautiful. It is, is, it's a euphoric feeling. It's luxurious. It's heavenly. Uh, anyway, when they get done with that, they wipe off your feet and then they paint your nails and you end up with the most beautiful feet you've ever seen. I have beautiful feet today. And if you, 
if, if you want to see them, I'll show them to you after church. In fact, Steve's mom had a pedicure, too, and she'll show you her feet, too, because she's got beautiful feet, too. <laughs> right, Mom? Yeah, okay. She's not talking to me. <laughs> so, um, in Bible days, that's not the way feet were washed, as you will know, but I'll let Steve tell you about that. Uh, the reason I didn't go is because I didn't need one. <laughs> well, good morning. We're going to talk about washing of feet today. In our Bibles, uh, in uh, John chapter 13, tells us about when Jesus washed some feet. It says, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Some translations say he loved them to the end. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You've got to humble yourself and let me wash your feet, Peter, or you're not on my team. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what I have done for you? That's our hot seat question today. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. I tell, you the, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Lord, help us to understand the meaning of this for our lives today. Amen. I want to tell you about a guy I met by the name of Richard Twiss. Richard was a Native American educator and author. He was a speaker at an event I went to out in Seattle some years ago. He was a Lakota Sioux Indian, and he formed an organization. He was president of an organization called Wishoni International. Wishoni is Lakota word for life. He served as a bridge builder and consultant nationally and internationally to develop understanding between people groups. If you have the time and interest, it'd, it'd be worth it for you to go to Google or go to YouTube and look up the name Richard Twist, T-W-I-S-S. There's several selections there that you'll find of him speaking. It'll be a fascinating um, trip into understanding about um, the indigenous people of our country, their history, how European Christians interacted with them and the circumstances they're dealing with today. And you'll hear a powerful testimony of how God intervened in his life. He ended up with uh, degrees from Fuller University and, uh, and a doctorate from, um, um, I forgot the name of it now, but one of the prominent seminaries. A fascinating man. So he was at this event speaking, and there was a break time. Sally and I had had opportunity through our lives to live right on reservations. I mean, right next door to reservations, uh, four or five different reservations. So we had some understanding of Indian affairs. And uh, I went up to him in a break time, and I said, introduced myself, told him that I had been around uh, reservations and that I had actually participated in some reconciliation services among um, white Christians and native peoples, and, uh, and that I'd, I'd even been to services where we'd done foot washings. And I said, but I have to tell you, I've always come away from those services feeling like, did it really make a difference? It just, it didn't feel like um, anything of value really happened. And I will never forget his response. <laughs> You'd have to know him to appreciate this. He's a man of uh, penetrating wit and humor. Uh, by the way, he passed away in 2013. We really lost the treasure when he did. He said, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've had to take my shoes and socks off so some white guys can wash my feet. I end up with clean feet. They go away feeling like they did something real spiritual. And nothing ever changes to, to improve life on the reservation. We get your smiles, your God bless yous, and maybe your used clothing. You all go back to your comfortable homes on our native land and ignore us the rest of the time. By the way, I know this church has done very significant work on reservation, and I don't in any way mean to devalue that. I know you've sacrificed hard and you've given 
very genuine care. Uh, so I'm not talking about that. Well, I said, well, what should we do then? If just singing uh, worship songs and praying together and maybe once in a while washing feet isn't doing it, what should we do? He said, well, you might try just hanging out with us <laughs> for a while, getting to know us. You might try to learn our history, our real history. Not the one you were taught in your school, but the real history. You might want to learn what our issues are, what our needs are, and become an advocate for us. And it was then that I began to realize that foot washing, in the Jesus sense of it, has to lead, more, lead to more than clean feet. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Luke tells us concerning the events we now refer to as the Last Supper, that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That's in Luke 22:15. And he was pursuing a passion then. That's why we call it Passion Week or Holy Week. Jesus was really passionate about what happened on this occasion we know as the Last Supper. John 13:3 tells us about Jesus that he knew that the Father he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Well, that's quite a piece of information to know. He knew he had come from the Father, that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. Unlike so many of us who may have participated in foot washings that were as much about us trying to prove our own spirituality as anything else, Jesus had no misgivings about his standing with God and his authority. After he washed their feet, as we read, he said, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. That's the frame of mind Jesus had. He wasn't a spiritual seeker. He wasn't trying to validate himself. He wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody else. He knew who he was. He knew what he was about. He knew his authority. And yet it says... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now we know that normally back in those days in that culture, foot washing was the first thing that happened when you came in off the road, off, out of the street, into the home. You would be met at the doorway, usually by the lowest servant in the household, maybe a slave, maybe a younger child, but whoever was kind of low on the totem pole, they would meet you and they would wash your feet because back in those days, they didn't wear um, fancy shoes. They had sandals and the roads weren't paved with cement and asphalt. They were maybe cobblestone, usually often dirt, 
and there was livestock running up and down those roads all the time and the messes that they created. Their feet were dirty, really dirty. And they didn't want them tracking that into the house. So they'd take off their sandals, get their feet washed, and then they were prepared to go on. But strangely, in this situation, we see that they were already seated at table. Already the meal was being served. And in the middle of eating the dinner, we find Jesus getting up to wash their feet. Now there are a number of speculations of why it went down that way. And I've been looking into that. Well, why, why in the world would they have gotten that far into the evening and nobody yet had washed their feet? And I finally decided that the best answer that I can come up with is that Jesus was waiting after all he had been teaching them. All of these years he'd been teaching them about being servants. You want to be great in the kingdom of God, he said, be a servant. You know, humble yourself. Don't try to be the first, be the last. Because the first will be last and the last will be first in the kingdom of God. Jesus had taught them all of this about servanthood and I think he was waiting to see if any of them would get it. And he waited and he waited to see if any of them would be willing to step forward and take care of this important service of hygiene. But they didn't. And so he did. He did for them what they weren't doing for themselves. And there's a key lesson in that. That's what Jesus does. He does for us what we aren't able or willing to do for ourselves. There's a portrait, I think, coming up here. Oh, there they are. There's the disciples. Is that Leo's version? You know, Leonardo da Vinci. Um, anyway, there they are. Luke's observation of where their heads were is quite interesting. Because back in Luke's telling of the Last Supper, he says this. It says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And it's, Luke says, they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So there they are, sitting at table with Jesus at the Last Supper, the one Jesus was so excited to be there, passionate about, and they're arguing among themselves who's the greatest. So here they are. There's the betrayer, Judas. John 13, 2 says the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. There was shallow and impulsive Peter. We read about Peter. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? No, you're not going to wash my feet. Ju Peter, you, you need me to wash your feet. 
Well, then wash all of me. No, just your feet, Peter. And later we're told that as they were arguing about who's the greatest, who's going to be the most loyal, they were jockeying for position and defending their identity in relationship to Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to betray me three times before this night is over, before the rooster crows. Peter said, not me. No way. Not me. These other guys might. They probably will. But I won't. I'll defend you to the death, the scripture tells us. But we remember the story of Peter. And then there's who I call teacher's pet, John. If you've read John's account of all these things, it tells us that John was the one leaning against Jesus' breast. Peter had a question of Jesus. He said to John, ask, ask Jesus about this. Just days before, John's mom, doting mom, had requested seats on the imperial throne for her two sons, one on her right, on Jesus' right, and one on his left. And Jesus said, you know, you want to be great in my kingdom, be the servant. And then right after that, an argument again broke out between them about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And John also, if you read the Gospel of John, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> well, we already opened John earlier saying he loved them all to the uttermost, to the end. And then there's just the whole gang of them. The, every one of them abandoned Jesus before the night was over. Here's what I want us to come away with on this. When the disciples were still competing for status and boasting of being more devoted to Jesus than the others, Jesus washed their feet. When Judas had decided by sinister impulse to force Jesus' hand, some theorized it was his motive, was to get, force Jesus' hand to get him to confront the Romans and, and uh, set up a revolution Jesus washed his feet. When his disciples were facing the biggest crisis of their lives, Jesus, knowing he had all power, Jesus, the eternal word, by whom all things are created, the one who hung the stars in space, who formed the mountains, who created all the beauty and splendor of nature, and had come and lived right among them, got down on his hands and knees, unstrapped their sandals, exposing their dirty, calloused feet, and he washed their feet. And most amazing of all, right in the middle of their biggest failure of all, Jesus knew what Judas was up to, he knew how Peter would fold under pressure and repeatedly deny he'd ever had anything to do with Jesus, cursing as he'd said it. He knew they would all run for their lives, leaving him alone and abandoned in the grasp of the arresting authorities. 
Jesus washed their feet. And in so doing, he demonstrated that his love for and service to them was unconditional. And that's a takeaway for us today. Jesus' love and service to us is unconditional. The kind of service Jesus modeled is other-focused. Jesus wasn't trying to validate himself. He wasn't trying to prove his spiritual uh, instincts or inclinations. He took it upon himself to take care of a very down-to-earth, practical need that provided him nothing in return. He didn't have to do it, but he did. And it was a serving and teaching moment. And then he asked them what I'm asking each one of us today. Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? Do we understand? I invite you to reflect on that question as we watch this.